0: competitive 40k network
1: presents art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet and now your host tim penny and the art of war coaches
2: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this Art of War flagship goodness OG. I am not Steve Joel. Unfortunately, he is unwell. My name's Adam Camilleri. You might have known me from Art of War Down Under, but I am here in his stead because I am from the same kind of part of the world, usually, but not right now. Right now, I'm sitting right next to John Lennon joining me for this auspicious and interesting look into the Necrons. How you doing, dude?
1: Hey, I am doing fantastic. I'm happy to have you on. You know, I was just on The Art of War Down Under. I figured you owed me a favor. And who better to get on to help me talk about some of the more weird-looking lists? You know, anytime a list is too weird for us Americans, I get an Australian to help me understand.
2: And what's better than an Australian is to get somebody from the UK. We're joined by Mr. Manny Chamber, who took the list and Necrons that we're going to be talking about right now to the exhibition matches at the Warhammer Finals over in Dallas, Texas, at the wonderful Citadel over there. How are you doing, Manny? Thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. You know, always happy to talk 40k. And uh, this is actually a really cool army we're going to talk about today.
2: Absolutely right. Yeah. but Myself and Manny were both at the event on the weekend. I was running production and Manny was taking skulls here, there and everywhere. I managed to win the finals overall. And I don't think you dropped a game in the exhibition rounds, did you either?
0: No, no, no! It's um the list was actually uh, quite fun, and uh, when they gave it to me, I, I sat down, and it's not the usual Necron list that I'm used to playing. I Played them a couple of times on Battle Reports before, but you know they're more um more fun games. But when I sat down and I had a look at all of the different stratagems in the book and the units that they gave me, I was like, oh man. You can do some really funky stuff with Yeah, man. I, I remember
2: seeing you walking over to me and being like, did you know like, this unit could do this? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but nobody's done it in like a year. <laughs> so, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I need to tell you a little bit about Art of War and what we do. So Art of War, and this podcast listen listening to right now, is cut up into two different... Uh, section. The first part, lovingly created for you guys by um, of the Art of War crew, John Lennon and Steve Joel, usually. And it'll be curated in, coming up for you guys on Thursday mornings, I believe. Uh, but the part two of this one could be found over on theartofwar40k.com where you can purchase this podcast, part two here, the part two of the wonderful Art of War Unbroken by... Um, Blake Law and the awesome, you know, best of the bunch, Art of War Done Under by some guy we've never heard of, some handsome Australian. But if you want to get all those three, you get a one-click bundle and get all three part twos of podcast that we create. In addition, there's this incredible, incredible thing that Art of War does. It's called the War Room. It's really bespoke. It's one of a kind. And John's going to tell us right about it.
1: Absolutely. The Art of War War Room is our wonderful global community. You can find it on our website, theartofwar40k.com. Again, it's a global community where a bunch of like-minded players collect. And there's a bunch of high-level coaches such as myself, Richard Siegler, Nick Donavati, Brad Chester, and many, many more. We're here to help you improve your game. uh, And we're here to just teach you more about Warhammer. Everyone's there to get better. Everyone's there to have fun and enjoy the hobby they love beautiful preamble's out of the way but we don't want to do a disservice to our
2: guest man you're involved in quite a few different things yourself tell us a little bit about the things you produce and what you're involved with
0: yeah we do uh, we do quite a lot of things you know we do we do coaching services we do list writing services which are becoming quite popular now that covid is kind of letting us get back to normal mm-hmm. and actually go to tournaments and stuff um also you know we produce battle reports which are free to watch on our youtube channel we do roster reviews we look at you know armies that have done really well in the meta currently and then we analyze the lists and how you can play against them, why the list works so well, any modifications you can make if you're interested in trying a similar sort of list and stuff like that. And yeah, so basically we're, we're mainly on YouTube, but anybody that's local to the UK, you know, anybody that lives around the Midlands that's watching this, you know, we have a, we have a really cool store as well called the Glass House, which is in Telford in the Midlands. And you know, people are more than welcome to come in and play games. We don't just play Warhammer. We play trading card games, all sorts of different games. And we have a fully, licensed bar so if you want to come and play some games with your mates while having a few drinks it's the place to be
2: damn it's hard to say no to that um and yeah, of course if you want to go check out why manny wins so many events you can just see him rolling nothing but sixes over on uh, Hammer on youtube i certainly <coughs> watched a couple of those battle reports myself but dude let's get into the nitty-gritty tell us about this list what was it right it from top to bottom and then we're going to start picking it apart and putting it back together
0: yeah, awesome. Yeah, so if I just run you through the list first, guys. So, um, uh, first of all, it's a, a Novok patrol detachment and a Novok vanguard detachment. So it's complete Novok. That is the choppy, choppy combat dynasty, as we all know. Um, first of all, Anrakir, Anrakir was in there, but Anrakir was in the vanguard detachment. That was just a little error that the, the Warhammer rules team wrote. Um, Anrakir was actually meant to be the warlord because he's a noble, uh, and the Scorpek lord is not, but they, you know, they... So they basically need to swap that round. So the Skorpek Lord is actually in the Vanguard Detachment, and Anrakir is in his place in the Patrol Detachment. So Anrakir is, of course, the Warlord, and the Warlord trait that he gets is Implacable Conqueror. So he can give you rerollable charges for Necron units within six inches, which is obviously great if you're going to use Novok. Then with him, we have a Lord. Um, he's just got a scythe and a Resurrection Orb, and the free relic was given to him, which was the Orb of Eternity. Then we've got a unit of 10 Necromorias, all with Gorse Reapers, a unit of two crypto thralls, um, a unit of 10 Flayed Ones, and two units of five Canoptic Wraiths. Then there was the Vanguard Detachment, and in there, as we said before, is now the Scorpec Lord. And a Warlord trait was bought for him for a command point, which was Enduring Will, which reduces damage by one. Now, that can make him really tough when you combo it with some stratagems that we'll come to. And also, there's a Chronomancer in that detachment, and one CP was spent to give him the Veil of Darkness, which is always, you know, like a, a little mm. toolbox trick that you've got. And there great. was. Yeah, yeah. There was another unit of two crypto thralls in that detachment as well. One big beefy unit of ten Lich guard with hyperphase swords and dispersion shields. Then we had two units of five Scorpec Destroyers with one big hyperphase reblade in each That's unit, a unit of three scarab swarms, and another unit of five canoptic wraiths.
2: It's pretty beefy, isn't it? It's, it's, it's quite elite in the, the models and the toughness and durability that it has, but it's not short on models in the, in the same breadth as well. It's, it's really quite interesting. And yeah, this was this was cooked up by the GW rules team to, to, to make an interesting and uh, exciting exhibition match, you know, one step, a couple of steps down from the, the top meta stuff. But this
1: list is no slouch, is it, John? Absolutely not. I I really love, uh, honestly, I like punching people Mm. at my core. I like shooting people to make them come closer so that I can punch them, or I just like running at them and punching them. And I love that you're going with Novak. Real quick for the listeners at home, what does Novak give you? Uh, just Just the Dynasty itself, what makes that the best choice for going in and punching people?
0: So the Dynasty itself gives you plus one to charge, which when you've got that warlord like Anrakir there, who's giving you reroll charges with the plus one that, you know, it combos really well and gives you some synergy there. But also it gives you an extra AP on all of your combat attacks, which I think right now with a lot of the stuff in the Necron Codex being AP one and two that hits in yeah. combat, you all of that like AP two and then three is huge and you know you have that lich guard unit and the thing that makes the lich guard hit so hard is because i think the swords are ap3 standard so when they go to ap4 most vehicles in the game don't even get a save against that so that really helps you know up your damage in combat absolutely right
2: um what's what's their stratagem and what benefits do they get from the uh the, the protocol system what's it called I think it's protocols. Yeah, what, yeah, that protocol, protocol system. What they get, they get? I think it's the hungry void.
0: What do they get there as well? Yeah, it's when you get the hungry void. So when you get into the hungry void, every six that you roll to wound becomes an extra point of AP. So you know, it just increases the damage even more so like um for example flayed ones in combat they're ap minus one normally so everybody else is at ap minus one and then yours are ap minus two and in that one turn they're ap minus two and if you're wounding things on fives then half of the wounds that go through mm. are also ap minus three so it, you know you're doubling tripling your damage which is actually really cool and the other thing they get is in the hungry void they actually get both benefits and the second one is really big it's plus one strength for your entire army
2: it's huge because there is there's also a plus one strength stratagem isn't there yes yeah, so you that. can
0: yeah you can do some crazy stuff like for example um people don't see the lich guard or the wraiths coming because they think oh you know it, it's strength six um all of their attack strength six the lich guard are only one damage wraiths are only minus two two damage so it's not going to hurt that much and then all of a sudden you go plus one strength in the hungry void for this turn and then plus one strength from the stratagem all of a sudden i've got strength eight wraiths running around. Um, so mm. yeah, it can uh, it can it can be a lot actually. Um, tell us a little bit about how
2: this uh, army operates, or how how you made it work. What was what was spicy about it? How do you feel like it coalesced on the table? Because if I just looked at this on here, I just feel like, well, this is just a Necron bloody rose list, right? It's just bloody rose sisters, but Necron form.
0: Yeah, it, it like you know, it looks like it only does combat, which is kind of true. <laughs> There's not very many guns in there, but um, it plays the mission very well. Because those Scorpec destroyers, you don't expect them to be, but those Scorpec destroyers are infantry, so they can do things like retrieve data, and they can do things like raise the banners. They can walk through walls. So you've got these got these big units that hit hard in combat that can do things that you wouldn't expect them to do, and it catches a lot of people off guard. Uh, it does help at the moment that not very many people know what Necrons do, so you put them on the board, and people don't. Act. You know, you have the element of surprise too, which is always nice. But yeah, I think it's more the combos and the characters having the characters nearby when you do combat is fantastic but also i think the gw terrain layout really helped me along because when we were deployed even in hammer and anvil which is you know long edge like long wise playing each other lengthwise down the table um the ruins i believe were only like 18 inches apart from each other or something of that sort which meant that if i had wraiths hidden in my ruin um with score destroyers behind them or just in front of them it meant that my opponent didn't really want to charge me because they know if they try to charge one of my units i have five more there that can hit back equally as hard so it kind of puts people off but also if they don't come at me and they sit in their ruin if i move 12 inches out which of course if i'm next to a lord um or Anrakir i actually move an Inches out with my wraiths, And all of a sudden I've only got a five inch charge to charge inside your ruin. So it was the fact that they had that threat. It forced people to come to me. Mm. And the other thing was the secondaries. It can play so passively on the secondaries that again, it forces your opponent to come to you. And that's what any combat army loves. If you don't have to go out there, your opponent is forced to come to you because you have the stronger secondaries passively that's what any combat army loves because they're coming to you for you to charge them.
1: So I've got to ask, what uh, what secondaries is this list like to take?
0: So it's um it's great at doing raise the banners. So one of our missions that we played was the new version of, um, you know, uh, what's it called now? Retrieval, the new mission of the new version of Retrieval. And so there are three objectives literally right outside your deployment zone. Now, one of those you have to go outside of the ruin to hold in the GW layouts. And the yep. other two were hidden inside. So what you can do quite cleverly is it's worth noting that the units of Cryptothralls actually have the bodyguard rule for Cryptex and i've got that chronomancer in my army so in the in those games i was able to hold two objectives from behind my ruins and raise banners and then on the other side i was able to put two crypto thralls behind the wall and send my chronomancer over the wall to raise a banner and then he couldn't be shot back
2: very nice very cheeky and, and- being able to take advantage of that in a melee army is just really, really potent. Oh, you yeah. want to come and charge him off? Well, I'm just going to collapse my entire army upon you. Like, exactly. It's like a leapfrog with charge rolls to get exactly. from your side. You thought it was an advantage for you? Well, it's my leapfrog to get into your deployment zone. Um, quick question. How is, so this list literally before the, the balanced data slate could not have been a thing, right? What, is, yeah. what has changed? What, what gives this legs? And why is it a thing now?
0: Yeah, it's absolutely massive, because um, if you look down the list, less than half the units on this list had core before, and now three-quarters of the army has the core keyword. Which is absolutely huge. Like you might not think it's that big, but guys, everybody listening, let me tell you exactly how big it is. So the Lord and Anrakir, most of their buffs that we've been talking about so far that actually make this list so good, they all affect dynasty core units or Necron core units in the in, you know, in Anrakir's case. So you would lose all of those buffs straight off the bat. Then on top of that, the the stratagem that you have to give a unit plus one strength of course again only works on a core unit so you can only give a core unit plus one strength now if you can't do that on these units then their you know their combat potential goes down by a lot and again there's the other strategy we were talking about was um you know the the one that i was saying was specific for novak Mm-hmm. that was the that was the only one that only worked that worked universally on a novok unit so with that you could actually have like a plus one attack but that is all you were getting you you needed like the plus one strength and stuff like that you could never have done before so having strength 8 lich guard raids which actually give you answers to vehicles and imperial knights that was not even a thing you had warriors immortals um tomb blades And I believe Death Marks? And I think those were the only core units in the entire book. That's correct. And now they've more than doubled that. So all the Skorpek destroyers in my army are now core. All of the Wraiths are now core. Um, Yeah, there's so many things that have gained core. It's it's amazing. So
1: we've got all these good melee units in here. And going from not core to core now lets them... Because Angrik here is a plus one attack, right? And then you have a strat for plus one attack. Yes. So literally doubling the buffs there. You could before get plus one strength for Hungry Void, but, you know, only on certain turns. Now you can get it and stack it with an additional plus one strength, and you can have that one, the stratum, on any turn. So you're really just ramping up the combat potential of all these units, and by making it Novak, you're going all in on the violence. Uh, you know, I think we often would see people taking the the pregame scout move and the uh, the obsec, which, you know what, it's very solid. It's a, a very solid dynasty for Necrons as far as the custom one goes. But it doesn't really play into the new buffs at all, does it? It feels like Novak is more built to take advantage of the core keyword because you get to use a lot more buffs than you could previously. Whereas being a custom, you know, it's a good buff, but nothing extra from where we were a month ago.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing that's... um. It's really confused me, actually, as a player, because I was um, I was using the Move Six Inches and Obsec before. I thought it was a great dynasty. And, you know, it was amazing when a single Wraith would survive on an objective against five Incubi, and that's it, given you an extra five primary points and swung the game by eight points. Fantastic. But, like you say, that army doesn't take... It's not that it doesn't really get affected by the, by the new changes. It literally in no way gets changed by the new uh you know the new rules. It. I, I don't think it it takes a, it, even it doesn't even affect it in any way. Not that it can't take advantage. I don't think it even affects the way it plays at all. Whereas this army, this really comes into its element now. Novok is, I think now after playing the event, that Novok is probably better than the Obsec Dynasty. I think because the amount of punch you lose to take the Obsec Dynasty is massive and you don't realize just how much until you actually put the novak on the table and you see th- how much difference the extra ap makes in combat how many charges you just about make because mm. you have the plus one to charge yeah. you know how many times that extra attack and the extra strength is the reason that you've killed a unit and take an objective or something i think once you put it on the table you definitely see a big difference i totally agree with that sentiment i think uh, i always felt that the the obsec
2: build the old expansions build was what a a weakening faction a faction that was in decline was trying to do to shore up its scoreline to try and not lose rather than win the game which is what no i believe novok does my is much more of a proactive play style where you're going out trying to disrupt your opponent's plans rather than just trying to exist and not get decimated which is how i feel like necrons have been forced to play for a long time just by dint of where they're at how do you feel about that john and nanny
1: I mean, uh, 100%, I'm with you. I've, I've played against that obsec style a lot, and it always felt like they were going to run at me screaming, or probably not because they're next <laughs> runs, get on all the objectives, and then they would try not to lose. While Cross I table all
2: them. their fingers and toes and be like, please let me roll good enough.
1: Yeah, and it, I, I felt like that kind of a strategy was very binary, and there were certain matchups where it just flat out was never going to work, where you could run out in front of someone and try not to die, and they were just going to be like, nah, man, you're dying.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think about some of the matchups for that now, I feel like it's only getting worse. Like, how do they go into knights now? <laughs> now, now knights are ob and in ten, fifteen, 10, 15, whatever. You yeah, know. you have to actually kill them. Yeah, which... you have to kill the knights. You can't not avoid and circumvent all these things as well. Um, I feel like the world is only going to get harder and harder for that build, hopefully. There's some, hopefully there's some nerfs coming that but- um, assist in some ways and means. But Manny, there's some interesting bandwidths that this um force operates at. You've got the Lich guard and the Flayed Ones to throttle the sheer amount of tax you can throw at people. You've got the Scorpec Destroyers and the race that have a lot of decent strength, decent rend uh and you know damage to damage two. And then you've got some little pockets of damage three yeah yeah. I thought this would have been the one bit where you struggled because you've got essentially in each of the Scorpec destroyer units you have one guy with three damage. And then I think you only have three damage else on the is it the Lord? Not not the um the Scorpec Lord, yeah,
0: yeah, the Scorpec Lord actually, and he um he's pretty cool because when you look at him, you expect um you s- expect his rules to actually be a core, you know, Good. like um, most like most characters in the game now give core units buffs. But mm. I suppose the reason why it doesn't say that is because before nothing had core. So um, of course he's a destroyer Lord and he needs to benefit destroyer units. Uh, So because of that, they couldn't use the core core keyword. And actually it buffs him as well as buffing other units, which most characters don't do anymore. They normally have like plus one attack for core units within six, Hmm. reroll ones for core units within six, but he actually gives all dynasty destroyer cult units within six rerolling wound rolls of a one and he also is a dynasty destroyer cult unit so he gives himself reroll wound rolls of one but also he's got hardwired for destruction which gives him reroll hit rolls of one on himself as well so although he doesn't have very many attacks he is hitting on twos rerolling ones and then wounding most things on twos or threes rerolling ones and he is ap minus five in novak with flat three damage
2: it's almost like then, you know, these, these metal guys are good at building murder bots or something. It's like, it's like a huge yeah. <laughs> <but>, uh, <laughs> um...
1: yeah. So one of the things actually, you know, I know you were talking about having only a little bit of damage three, hmm. but I feel like a little bit of the damage two in here got a lot more valuable because it's now yeah. possible to get it to strength eight. Not that strength eight is a particularly important break point for damage two into <clears throat> orcs, but uh, you know, it, it's actually pretty nice <laughs> to have that. Absolutely. Um,
2: I'm a big fan of how a lot of the relics change as well. Like Veil of Darkness um, got a lot better. But the Orb of Eternity, I want to highlight this for people. Manny, feel free to wax poetical because this thing used to do literally nothing for three quarters, like uh, five-sixths of this army. You could, cool, you could erase the Necromorias. Now the Orb of Eternity is insane, yeah?
0: Oh, yeah. It's awesome now. It's absolutely amazing. So um, when I was playing against... um, Oh no! Who was it that I played? Oh, was well, Sasha? <clears throat> <clears throat> when I played against Sasha in the first round, um, he spent quite a lot of firepower from his army. Literally, like I think three quarters of his army's worth of firepower shot at a wraith unit, and um, he he did quite a lot of damage to them. He killed four and left the last wraith on two wounds and i was like oh it's crazy that he survived and i was like this is the turn if ever there's a turn to use the orb of eternity it's when every single model in the unit but one is dead and essentially lets you roll a reanimation protocol roll for every model in the unit that's dead so far like not just that died in the last turn or anything like that it's whoever has died from that squad period so far roll reanimations for them and you get plus one to the roll as well so they come back on a four plus and that's the interesting thing here is normally reanimation protocols don't work too great on multi wound models but all of a sudden when you've got the plus one you're gonna pass half of them averagely so you can only play by averages and you can go right four rates are dead i'm rolling 12 dice six of them should be fours and i should get half of my unit back which is mental? It's like seventy points you're getting back for no, like for no reason. <laughs> it's your free relic. It, you're gonna get those back, and I think that helps so much. Like, like I just said, three quarters of Sasha's army shot and killed four eights, mm-hmm. and two of them came back. So it's like half of his army did nothing essentially. It, yeah, it
2: truly invalidates uh, the damage. Almost, uh, I'm gonna put it out there, marine esque. When the when marines, when, so when Necrons came out, I was really happy with that book. Until Marines came out, and then I was really unhappy with that book. I was like, "Oh <laughs> why have you got to do Necrons this bad?" Um, but now it feels like their reanimations, whilst being less uh, less good, you have more mileage and more abilities to make it better on on better units. Not just yes. you know, doubling or tripling down or making it, you know, a cool my war- a redundancy on warriors. Um, you can actually get important, powerful units back. I like I said, yeah, like you know how you can you can raise a whole attack bike, you can raise a whole you know aggressor or something actually powerful and
1: important. Yeah, yeah, I love that you can just do it on all these units. And um, real quick, I, I know you've got a chronomancer in there. I don't actually remember which manters Which what buffs does the chronomancer give for these units?
0: So the chronomancer, the chronomancer, he abuses the bodyguard thing, which I really like about him. But then also he's got the I believe it's called a chronomatron. That's like his um, his innate thing that's built into him, and that gives a unit a five plus invulnerable save. So essentially you can choose a friendly dynasty unit within nine inches as well. And they get a five plus invulnerable save until your next command phase. And also they can reroll charge rolls. So you can send that unit off on their own. They don't have to be near Anrakir to get reliable charges off. They get plus one to their charge and now they get rerolls just inbuilt. And also having that five up invulnerable save makes a big difference because one of the units I was using the chronomancer's chronometron on mainly was the score destroyers because of course the wraiths already have a four plus invulnerable save the um Uh, Lich Guard already have a 4 plus invulnerable save and your Flayed Ones are normally coming in from reserve and charging that way so the Destroyers are the only other like beefy unit on the board that you want to give a buff to so I gave them a 5 up invulnerable save a lot of the time with that and those Scorepecs with a 5 up invulnerable save are really great I mean especially when um, there's a stratagem for them uh, specifically called Whirling Onslaught for 1 CP which uh, you can use on a Scorepec Destroyers unit or a Scorepec Lord actually and until the end of the phase you do it when they're targeted and until the end of the phase your opponent has to subtract one from wound rolls so you know they're when when you're shooting at a unit or fighting a unit in combat that's toughness five but then also they are minus one to wound and on top of that they have a five plus invulnerable save and any that you kill could reanimate it becomes a lot riskier to go into that unit you almost have to think twice at what you want to send into them
2: yeah exactly right and on top of that for every th- every three that you kill like if you know you know getting you know to grab devs or something and you manage to kill three of them well technically that could just be two you know more often than not one of yes. those comes back and so it gets it can get quite obnoxious
1: right yeah. uh, and i kind of want to backtrack a little bit uh, to something you mentioned about uh Anric here you said uh you can get reroll charges if you're not near Anric here. does anarchy go- give even more for the army
0: Oh yeah, Anrakir is amazing. Anrakir is so good. Um, so he's got My Will Be Done, which you know every every overlord has, and My Will Be Done is great. In your command phase, you you choose a Necron core unit. And that's one of the best things about Anrakir, is he's a dynastic agent. So all of his abilities say Necron's core unit. You know, it's not locked to a dynasty. So you pick a Necron core unit within nine inches of him, and they add one to their attacks hit roll. Like they get plus one to hit with everything, the shooting weapons, uh, melee weapons, absolutely everything. So, you know, when you've got these wraiths <clears throat> that are running around, hitting on fours, and that's, w- that's one of the big things that has made wraiths work. I mean, if you just look at before to now, wraiths used to, I mean, they've, they've had four attacks since this book came out, of course, but they've had four attacks and they hit on fours at strength six minus two, two damage. That's not very scary at all. But all of a sudden, you're like, all right, they've got four attacks. Oh, look, they're standing next to Anrakir, who gives the entire army plus one attack. So all of a sudden, they've got five attacks. He's put My Will Be Done on them, and now they're hitting on threes. Their strength, six, but they're minus yeah. three, two damage now. So not only do you gain an attack, you also are better at hitting in combat with the extra attack. So instead of having 20 attacks on a unit of five, they hit on that you get 10 hits from you actually get 25 attacks. You get 16 hits from you, yeah. al- you almost double the amount of hits you get from that unit. Not to mention they have an extra AP now as well.
2: Exactly. Right. There's actually one more rule and has, which I hear you got to use at the oh, event. Yeah. It's called mind in the machine. You might, if I read this one out, then you get to unpack it a little bit for us.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it basically at the start of your shooting phase, you can select an enemy vehicle model, that's visible to and within 12 inches of Anrakir. And then you roll 3d6. If they're Titanic, you only roll 2d6, but I didn't play any Titanic. So you roll 3d6. And if the result is greater than or equal to the leadership of the selected model, you get to shoot one of the model's range weapons as if they were part of your army. But the key thing here is you use this model's ballistic skill instead of the targets. So they use Anrakir's ballistic skill of a 2+. So theoretically, theoretically,
2: right, you could have a a knight tyrant, chaos knight tyrant, you know, that it's essentially the, the Castellan chaos knight. You walk up and he's just like, I'm going to hack your brain cells. And he hacks their brains and turns the volcano cannon onto the, one of the other knights and just blows it to hell, hitting on two pluses. Is that correct? Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's hitting hilarious. on a two. I think that's the key thing about it. You just take over what they have and you hit on twos.
2: And I say that theoretically because it's on 2d6 and you have to clock what? A 10 on a 2d6? No. So like a 9 or a 10? Yeah, it's not it's not likely, but it's absolutely mm-hmm. hilarious. Yeah, the, the best one I can think of is like oh, uh, an orc. A wise
1: bomb blaster, blaster, yeah, blaster jets. Yeah, Yeah, because yeah. yeah. like, they've got like, you know, ballistic skill garbage. You make ballistic skill two. Their leadership is probably negative. It's a Gronn in charge. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Just the
2: value you can get. The other one I thought of was a, a tank man with a demolisher turning it on the other tank commander with a (laughs)
0: watch. Oh yeah. That would be savage. And that's the thing. It's like a, it's a free ability that's built into him. I mean, you're taking him because a, he's got my will be done. B, he gives everybody plus one attack within six inches and C, he also has the relentless March. So, each time a core unit within six of him makes a normal move or advances, you add one to their move as well. So he makes everyone faster, gives them extra attacks, and gives makes them hit better. That's why you take him. That is worth the points. And Absolutely. also, he's a beat stick of a character. He's his strength eight minus four, flat two damage, and you know he's toughness five with six wounds. I mean, if that's not worth one hundred forty points, I don't know what mm. is. And then he gets this extra ability on top, and you're like, yeah, cool. I could I could do something janky with this with this one shot thing.
2: And he's 140 points. He's not over that overly expensive. What? What? Yeah. Do you know what a, a regular wallet is, uh, <coughs> overlord is? Overlord at the top of your head?
0: I believe like a a regular 90. overlord is about 100 points. That's but 95, that's 95, yeah. Yeah, but that's with nothing. So if you give him a war scythe, like what Anrakir has, has, he's like 105 or 110. So you're you're paying 30 for for
2: yeah, and he's also got the, the, the one-shot run arrow as well, which is laughably 120 inches, <laughs> 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 Assault 1, Strength 12, yeah. minus 5 D6 damage. It only gets one shot. I'm assuming if that ever gets an update, it'll be like a, a D3 plus 3 weapon rather than a D6. Um, yeah, yeah. But it, should be, it
0: should be D3 plus 3 or something. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it'll be cute. That was amazing in the first game. Oh, my God, uh, I, when I was playing Sasha, he has Ironclad Dreadnoughts, and I was like, "Okay, ah. Ironclad Dreadnoughts are actually pretty tough to take down, being Toughness eight and all. um mm-hmm. It's going to be hard to kill these." <clears throat> and then Anrakir shot that thing, turn one, and it hit. And I was like, "Hey, I've got plenty of CPs. I'll use my one CP Strats to automatically wound with this weapon and not have to yeah, roll." Maybe. And it just went in minus five straight through, and I rolled a six on the damage, so it did five wounds. And then my um, Scorpec Lord shot at it and did another two wounds, and then it had one wound left. Um, and oh, and sorry, just before this, uh, Anrakir had taken over the Land Speeder and shot the Land Speeder's Heavy Bolter at it as well. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I'd done one wound with the with the Land Speeder, and then I'd done five wounds with the Tachyon Arrow, and it was down to two. And the Scorpec Lord did one actually and put it down to one wound. And a single Wraith went in there and killed the Ironclad.
2: That's pretty good. I was like, wow. <laughs> that guy's probably like 200 years old, and he just got killed by a microwave. <laughs> what a shame.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I hate that and love it at the same time. The one time that works, I'm going to be mm. really sad. Right on. Okay, so I do have a couple of questions for you here about kind of the evolution to list, this list. So obviously, this list was for the, the Games Workshop exhibition games. Uh, honestly, compared to some, you know, some of the exhibition lists, I like this one a lot. Uh, I think it takes advantage of the new rules well. I love punching people, and there's a lot of good hidden tech in Necrons that we've been Mm -hmm. ignoring because it was locked to only four data sheets, and now you can use it on, like, 12. Uh, Moving forward, though, do you have any plans for Necrons? And specifically, are there any things in here that you think you would change or things that aren't here that you think you want?
0: So, you know, there are some interesting things that I want to try, and I'm not sure if some of them are viable in but um there's definitely a few things i want to try so going forwards i know that um the unit of three scarabs they literally did nothing they absolutely did nothing in that in, in that event so i would not want to be taking those again <clears throat> Now the crypto thralls. I know Rod has changed, of course, from Retrieve Octaris data. We now have Retrieve Nakman data, which will be going forward what come what, what we'll be taking. And the Crypto Thralls are no longer great at that. They used to be fantastic at it, but now they're not very good at the new one. But <clears throat> if you look at this army, it's all based around combat, like we said. And it likes to go out there and chop stuff up, which it does very well. But there aren't very many units in this army which you would be happy to leave in your backfield holding an objective. They're all way too expensive for doing a job like that. Whereas the two little units are two crypto thralls, it's cost you 80 points in total. They're no slouches, they're toughness five. So they are quite hard to shift. They've got two wounds each. And on terrain, they have a three-up save as well. I think Actually, I think they have a two-up save on terrain. So they're actually very hard to shift as backfield objective holders. So I wouldn't be getting rid of the crypto trolls. I know that's the one thing people would look at and go, well, they can't retrieve data anymore. They're useless. However, they're brilliant at holding backfield objectives and raising banners for you. <clears throat> so there is that. But one thing, quite interestingly, I would love it if somehow you could fit Zarek, the Silent King, into this army. That would be so cool. Yeah, and- just, just drop a couple of bits and pieces. He fits right in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. You know what I was saying? I don't know if it's viable or not. The Silent King is the guy. I don't know if he's viable or not. Now, like, his abilities are incredible. He has two My Will Be Done's, but then he also gives a ranged attack re rolling hit rolls, which isn't that big. You know like when you're giving my will be done and you're making things like warriors hit on twos the re-rolling mm. the hit rolls is not that big so you know I wasn't yeah. that big on that but what really gets me is he has fair run of the blades which means that necron core units within six inches can re-roll wound rolls in combat now that for this army would be insane full re-rolls to wound in combat when you can get so many extra attacks and stuff that would be insane so I think he would be wicked in this army. And also he's a beat stick as well. He gives you a way to make people fight last. He's got the flat six, like two shots of flat six damage every turn. He, you know, he adds quite a bit to the list. However, he is 450 points. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot to, to take him. But one thing that I did notice about the army is I've got four HQs that were given to me in this army. You don't need four HQs to make this army work. And the other thing I was looking at is the fast attacks. Now there are f- there are four fast attacks in this army. Again, you don't need four fast attacks; three will do because the raids are fine. You don't need the scarabs. So, all in all, I think looking at it, you probably still need two detachments. So you only need to keep two of the characters in this army. Now, I think the Chronomancer is great because he's he's an awesome holder for the Veil vale of Darkness, and he. Um, you know, he, he exactly. does the five-up invulnerable no, no, no. with the chronotron yeah. And then also Anrok I think, is incredible with the plus-one attack and all of that kind of stuff. Don't think you want to be dropping him. But the Skorpek Lord... He was okay. He didn't do that much. And the Lord, being a normal Lord, doesn't really help him. You don't get a My yeah. Will Be Done off him, anything like that. Yeah, the Orb of Eternity is quite cool. You could look at whether you want to keep him or the Chronomancer. You know, they do similar roles. I think the Chronomancer gives you a bit more versatility. So, straight off the bat, you could. Drop the Lord and the Scorpec Lord, and that's like 250 points. It's obnoxious so that, that is 250 points. Yes, yeah. so that's like 250 points, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, so I'm actually only dropping 200 points worth of stuff that does things. Oh, and remember, we can get rid of those three scarabs that also do nothing. Mm-hmm. So you go, actually, I'm only 50 points of stuff from this army that actually does something to get the Silent King in.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that could be just as simple as, like, you know, cutting a scorpic here or there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think we want to make those uh, Lich Guard any smaller, but, you know, when you put it like that, yeah, I think you could fit him in pretty well. And yeah. I think he, honestly, he would do a lot more for this list than a Catan, which, mm. even though they are all the hotless, hotness lately, I think you lean into the core buffs here. You take the Silent King, he does the most for the new Necrons.
2: So the only consideration of where I think the Catan over the Silent <laughs> King is I feel like in an aggressive list um, that when you're pushing, you know, bomb, essentially you're pushing bombs into people's faces that people just really do not have the the bandwidth to go and deal with a, with a, a night, nightbringer, deal with a, a void dragon as well as they would want to. You can really disrupt their plans like that. So I'm, I'm a proponent of either either. I think it's a lot easier to justify slotting one Catan in here, the special, whichever specialist Catan makes the most sense to you, but it, that is just adding something you can't get anywhere else, but adding the Silent King just makes everything in your list straight up, just linearly better. Uh, yeah. So it's very hard to go past. Um, I've got a question for you. Did you have five minions of Scorpec Destroyers or six mans? Because it's got five here, then a comma, one with one Reap Is that the sixth guy or is that five? and just
0: No, there, there are five, but one fine. has a re- hyperphase uh, hyperphase Blade.
2: I'd really like to see that sixth get the two Reap per squad. That's, that's yeah. my personal preference. Because just that for the sheer amount, really you really get good. like, 10 like damage, you know, strength, whatever you want, render bazillion damage, three attacks out of that squad. It's really quite nice.
0: Yeah, but the um, the only reason I actually preferred the one was remember how I was saying you can play passive secondaries with this army. Correct. That allows you to do the passive secondaries. Now, when you look down the list, um, you have your most expensive units for to the last are a the lich god, and then the rest of them the three units of five wraiths and the two units of five scorepecs are the same points cost. Now, you don't want wraiths to be to the last because they have the furthest reach and they are the most reliable when you send them out in combat and they are also the most survivable. So the wraiths are the ones that you want going out and playing the mission first and foremost. And the reason why you don't mind the scorepec destroyers being to the last with the Lich Guard is because they come out after the Wraith, so the Wraiths go out and do damage and whatever comes out for the Wraiths, the scorpex then go into those things because they are behind the Wraiths. So, you know, and if somebody wants to concentrate down on some scorpex from far away when they're behind mm-hmm. your Wraiths, then A, you can make those scorpex stupidly tough with the minus one to wound stratagem yeah. and B, they're ignoring the Wraiths that are going to be in their face the following turn charging their army. So, you know, I think it's, it's great having the unit of 10 Lich Guard and the two units of five Scorpik Destroyers as your to the last choices. Oh, and then, I actually took that in both games.
2: Well, then adding the sixth one just doubles down on your, on your strat, right? Are you saying you don't want to have your hand forced? Uh, no, yes. So the, adding adding the on sixth one, doesn't do
0: anything. Yes, adding the sixth yeah, one, it does maybe. that. But then, yeah, you have no choice.
2: Exactly right. So just a loss of agency. What do you think? Do you? Th- uh, I'm just going to hit a little bit of John for a sec. Do you think Silent is the way to go here, or do you double and triple down and just get as many bombs and MSU and bits and pieces as you can? Because you can really yeah. add lots of squads here and there.
1: I like yes, the Silent game here because um the four, warrior, the four HQs are nice because they do provide a lot of buffs, but you're probably paying a little bit too much for them. I just feel like if you're going to, you know, like, like what you said, you can cut a couple characters and they're only dropping like 200 points of real stuff to put the silent king in uh, if you want to do that and you know get 200 points of other units and keep the the hqs in i feel like the silent king is better and if you want to cut the hqs and some stuff to get like 400 points of more units in, i feel like they're not going to be as effective you know you start losing uh, my will be done in a couple mm-hmm. spots yeah. uh, where you know again three my will be done on three canoptic race when they're all connecting at the same time that matters a ton because we, we've already yeah. talked about how weapon skill yeah. four versus three. I mean, everyone knows how much better that is, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: so Manny, have you conceptualized how that actually works? Like, where, it, where would you go for those extra 200 points? Is that a unit of race? Is that the flayed ones and the scarabs? I'm not sure. That's, I don't think that's 200
0: <coughs> points. So where are you getting the little bits and
2: pieces from to, to make this So
0: up? that's the kind of thing. So the, the Lord on the score peg Lord, I believe is actually 240 points. That's what you lose two hundred forty points. The scarabs you don't need two hundred eighty five. Um, with the scarabs, so actually you're looking for one hundred sixty five points, and those one hundred sixty five can come from dropping one unit of two crypto thralls. Because um, in most games, actually, you only have one objective, which is deep down in your backfield, and the rest are sort of in no man's land, mid board, which your whole bubble will be sat on if you take the silent king. Yeah. So. If you drop that crypto thrall unit, then all of a sudden you only need like 120 points or something. And then that is the flayed ones at that point. Because right. I think the Canoptic Wraiths, um, and as good as those flayed ones were in the tournament, like they were actually very good for me. Um, as good as they were, I think the Wraiths, the Scorpex, and the Lichguard hit much better than those. And then, you know, when you think about it in that way, like, you know, see th- this is where. The little units that you have in Necrons, you look at them and you go, wow, was I really paying that many points? I mean, we have kept the six big combat bricks in that army and we have still kept that 10 man obsec warrior unit for that little bit of essential shooting. And you look at it and you go, actually, all I've dropped there is two characters that didn't really do much for the list, two crypto thralls and a unit of 10 flayed ones. And I have got the silent king in.
1: Yeah, no argument. I mean, you, you've got to take Zarek at that point, right? He's, he's yeah. too much of a boss to leave at home.
0: He's fantastic. And to be honest, now that I think about it, those 10 Necron Warriors, maybe they're not essential. I actually would probably prefer to keep the 10 Flayed ones instead of the 10 Necron Warriors.
1: You know, I was looking at this, and I was actually looking at your list, and I was wondering if you could fit the whole thing in a Vanguard. And unfortunately, yeah. you have to cut one of the Wraith units. But yeah. if you just put this list into a Vanguard, could it work at all?
2: i i think it's an outrider over a vanguard um although it's much more much so i forgot i forgot there's a list guard there because you'd have to lose yeah either one score pick or one uh wraith unit either way you go with it right
1: well you'd have to lose because right now he has uh he has uh, six elites in the list and all oh, three fast attack yeah. so i think i, I don't want to cut wraiths but theoretically if you cut wraiths you could just make this a vanguard and just go all violence Minimal chaff. So
2: if you have if you have your yeah. HQs as Anarchy and the Chronomancer, so you get one unit of Crypto false for three. Three. Mm-hmm. They oh. don't take up a slot, um, and then you can have your yeah your three HQs. Uh, so your two HQs, Lichguard, score picks, picks and then you can have two units of race, and then you have a bunch of points left over. <laughs> Many yeah.
0: yeah, I am. Um, to be honest, I was looking at it, and for the reason that John said, I was looking to see if it all fit into, um you know, into one detachment just so that you could, uh, you know, not take those warriors, because I really don't like those warriors. Um, I think the flayed ones are better. (coughs) The only reason I was talking about dropping the flayed ones instead of the warriors is because the Novok patrol becomes completely free, right? Because um, the Silent King, if the Silent King is your warlord, then he, because he's in a um, Supreme Command detachment, he makes a patrol detachment in your army free also. And then all you're doing is paying for that one Vanguard detachment. That's it. But actually, interestingly enough, this list, like you saw, I started the game on seven CPs and it was enough. I, uh, maybe one... Would one more, like eight CP, would have been the sweet spot? Considering, you know, the five that you gain in the game, I think 12 to 13 is the perfect number of CPs you need mm. to make this list work, right? Well, and now... You already, get, you already get that one back as soon as you drop the Scorpik load, yeah? Uh, yes, but like, um, considering this, right, um, if you do drop the Warriors, because I actually think the Flayed ones are better, you do drop those Warriors, even if you can't fit this in one Vanguard detachment. So you have Anrakir and the Chronomancer, right? You can still take an Outrider and a Vanguard. The Silent King will be in a Supreme Command and he has to be your Warlord. So he's free. And the other detachments, you're actually paying three CPs each for. But the Silent King actually has a special rule on his datasheet, which says you receive three additional command points if Zarek is your Warlord. Boom. So, right there. Yeah, so he makes one of them free even though he's not making one of them free, essentially. So, to be honest, he's free. You pay for both detachments, and then he refunds one. He gives you three CPs back. So, even if you have two detachments, you're starting the game with nine, you buy the extra relic, like, like, you know, like... Well, actually, no, you've dropped the two characters, so you wouldn't even have to buy the extra Warlord Trail Relic. You would actually start the game on nine CP.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, you just have... Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. Um, I think I might consider buying an extra world trait for anar here or uh someone just to get that or every world charges oh yes um, uh, the
0: re-roll charges cause I bet s- that's
1: pretty clutch but yeah, no I think I think you're right there I think you, you if you just cut the chaff go maximum violence and you've got zarek the silent king I think violence is a good enough plan that uh, I'm willing to stick to it
2: yeah I think so too I think this is uh you, you just deploy your army and you play on Yeet Street and hope the guys can't hold up. Uh, but despite that, it's the, the amalgamation of special rules and the way it's synergizes with each other now, phenomenally is so much more, like almost 300% increase in the amount of applicable rules you can put on squads. Um, it just means there's a lot more depth here to this kind of play style that you didn't have before. And it's been really exciting to hear many talk about unpacking it in bits and pieces. How would but uh, talking about the, the kind of list we're coalescing to, it sounds like it's two out of three agreements, Silent King's the way to go. What does that list then look like on the table? Is it just all pivoting around the Silent King? Is the Silent King sending them out? Or is it all moving up as like a, a, like a big rolling mall just into the middle with no ability for anybody to stop them?
0: Yeah, so in my opinion, um, actually, interestingly, in most tournaments in the UK that I've been to, that would work. But interestingly, on the GW terrain, It could be a hindrance. So I was actually quite happy on the weekend that I did not have the silent King in the army Mm -hmm. because yes, he would have made the, you know, he would have buffed them and made them so much more powerful. However, the way that the GW terrain works, he would not be able to hide anywhere. The only place he can hide is off those massive 12 by 12 perspex squares at the very back of your deployment zone. The minute he steps on one of those, he is like nine inches tall in the air. So, Mm He will be seen at every possible part of the board. So all it takes is one or two anti-tank units and you've lost your 500 point quarter of your army guy who's buffing the rest of your army. So I think for him to be viable, you need to be playing on terrain where people don't have big 12 by 12 ruins that if you step on, you get shot.
2: My last question, I guess, before we we transition on and see if John's got anything for you. With adding the silent king, what does that do to your secondary play? What does it make better? What does it make worse? And which which bits and pieces do you need to really look into doing instead?
0: So... Um, that's a big thing actually it would it would still mean that you can raise the banners and stuff like that you've still got a Crypto Thrall unit you still have a Chronomancer who doesn't really have any auras he just gives off his ability in the command phase and then he's done so the Chronomancer and the Crypto Thralls and you know even the Scorpik Destroyers you don't often send that out turn one things like that you can still raise banners which is absolutely fantastic Um, you can still do Purge the Vermin and Purge the Vermin was the one that I was doing in most games because um, it, you, you just have to keep your half of the board empty by the end of your turn to get four points a turn on that so banners was very passive then persia vermin was very passive because one you're a combat army and if your opponent wants to deny you getting points on that he has to run at you which of course is not ideal for him so you still do those two very well um and then the third one we were doing was to the last now to the last changes a little bit um instead i think it gets better a whole lot better because essentially instead of one of your score pack destroyer units being your third to the last it's the silent King and the silent King is a lot harder to kill than a unit of five Scorpion destroyers.
1: Yeah. No, I, there is no argument with that. Um, also a sneaky one here, uh, the silent King has the opportunity to take code of combat mm-hmm. where if you happen to play into something, especially someone who has MSU, basically, I think you just get three points every time the silent King kills a unit. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the silent King is Andrew, the silent King.
2: And is, uh, is, um,
1: Lord as well, Lord as well. So he can double yeah. down. On so if Andrew ever scoops a kill, it just points. Yeah, but also, oh, this yeah, just, this is Guys, really good I've,
0: I've actually had a turn where I've gained twelve points from Code of Combat in Whoa. one turn um, <laughs> because the Silent King has shot at a vehicle which only had five wounds left. I think it was a rhino. So he shot at a rhino with the uh, um, his um, flat three damage thing. Now, that's one thing to um, consider as well is that you know the men here's the men here's don't actually have the noble keyword. So anything that the men here's kill don't actually get you any points. So that's oh. one thing to remember is when you shoot with those flat six damage weapons, you cannot get code of camber from that. But, um, I've shot him before. He's got like, um, the two damage shots and that killed a rhino for me. And then he's got like six, one damage shots, which killed, Mm -hmm. I think it was two repensha for me. So as you know, it's when, when you have these little units that your army has battered down and he's killed two of those and then he charged something. And, um, I've had Anrakir shoot the one shot lance at, um, I just um, I think it was just one actual just battle sister, like the last battle sister left in the squad. And I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's three more points. There you go, 12 points in a turn by killing a five-wound rhino and three sisters across two yeah. characters, and there you go, that's 12 points. Um, the, uh, the other one was,
2: uh, we talked about Purge of the Vermin, yeah, how this is just a ferocious Purge of the Vermin pick because what are they going to do? Push into your all really- melee. Yeah. Death Star, Bomb, nope. Doom. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not doing that, <laughs> sir. Have <laughs> your points. Um, one thing we need to talk about now before we wrap this part this part line up, protocols. Now, they are much maligned. They're not that good, but getting the most out of them does make a difference. Manny, what order do you usually conceptualize using? Do you change it up that much? And if you have an optimum turn for which to you know, drop down your which one the supernova one is? I can't remember. Is a uh, Hungry Void. Uh, hungry
0: Void, yeah.
2: Yeah. Where do you how do you conceptualize your playstyle around the use of protocols? How integral are they and what order do you think?
0: So um I normally take sudden storm turn one um because it gives you a plus one inch movement. Plus one inch movement by being by nobles, all of a sudden you've got plus two to it, which is very nice. Um mm-hmm it does give you the potential for turn one charges. If your opponent has come out with something, you know, if your opponent's gone first and they've come out, all of a sudden your rates are moving 14 inches and then charging something. And your score are moving 10 rather than eight and then charging, which, you know, it makes a like those two inches make a big difference. So I normally take sudden storm turn one. <clears throat> then I believe the next one is called eternal guardians or something like that. And essentially what it lets you do is um, set to defend or hold steady, even out in the open. So essentially I go, right, turn one, I'm going to have extra movement. Turn two, Mm -hmm. you're probably going to, charge me because i'm going to put myself in a position where i can charge you the following turn so if you charge me i will hit on twos in combat with everything and threes with rates which is very big anyway and then in turn three is when i go hungry void because that's when i think you'll get in and do the most damage with your necrons um and then four and five really don't matter that much in my opinion i think the first three turns those three protocols are the best for this build of Necrons. And then turns four and five is just personal preference. In turns four, I normally do the Undying Legions one, which is the one where you can heal two wounds instead of one. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. Um, But the one trick you could do, which is actually pretty nifty if you take the Silent King. So that's the order in which I do the command protocols. However, what you could do is you could... You could choose one um, where you keep it out because what the Silent King does, I'll just tell you here, it's a special rule. He lets you um, double down,
2: doesn't
0: he? Yeah, he lets you double down on one. Uh, once per battle at the start of any battle round, if Zarek is on the battlefield, he can alter your command protocols. If he does, the command protocol that you did not assign to any battle rounds before the battle becomes active for your army instead of the one that you assigned to it. So... If you, for example, because basically I think there's only five command protocols, so you have to assign one to every every battle round, or is there six? So you can leave a good one out and sub it in in any battle round. So, for example, if you do not use Hungry Void, for example, you can sub Hungry Void in in any battle round where you think this is the one where I'm going to charge with my whole army.
1: Awesome. And does the Silent King have a rule that let you use a uh, a protocol twice, or am I just confusing that with subbing the one in?
0: No. Yeah, I believe he has that as well. So as he's well. got both of them. Yeah. Ooh.
1: Oh, that's yeah. nasty. Yeah. So if you if you can potentially have more control over when you get Hungering Void, and you can potentially have Hungering Void twice after you've used it, that feels like a massive recipe for success.
2: And yeah, just as at home, there is there are six uh, protocols. Not that I've ever seen a couple of them or thought, thought that a couple of them matter, but yeah, just to clarify, there are six.
0: Yeah, it's, it's because the Silent King has to be your warlord and his warlord trait is the Triarch's will which is um, if he is your warlord, then when assigning command protocols for the battle, you can select four command protocols instead of five. And then one of those uh, command protocols can be assigned to two battle rounds instead of one. So like, for example, this army, you could assign a hungry void to battle rounds two and three. And that's very big. Having your army with plus one strength, extra AP on sixes, when they've got full rerolls to wound from the silent king, it's just so big. Nothing nothing will stand. But,
2: dude, that that probably brings us to the end of this uh, episode one. Unless, John, you got any other questions for Manny?
1: You know, I've got several questions, but I think I'm going to save all of those for part two. Beautiful. Well, dude,
2: thank you so much for coming on. You've been an absolute wealth of knowledge. Really exciting to see Necrons get a bit of a breath of fresh air. Hopefully those aspiring uh, triarchs out there have uh, listened to this and feel far more inspired to go and get all their choppy, choppy blenders out of Doom and have a good time. Uh, Manny, any parting comments before we wrap this one up? No, yeah, that has been great. I'm, I'm really excited to talk
0: more about it in the second half. I think Necron's a really cool army.
2: Fantastic. So hopefully those listening along will come over and join us over on part two, where we're going to be breaking down a bit more of the nuance uh, nuances of the matchups. When do you want to use strats? Which ma- what much do you want to pick? This secondary, that secondary? What, what's your plottable score? How much you want to invest in the primaries, and et cetera, et cetera? It's going to be a great chat. We're going to unpack some things and talk about some of the really deep and dark secrets of how to make uh, the Necrons work on the tabletop. Uh, John, anything else to mention?
1: well i'm ready to go let's head to part two beautiful thank you so much matty
2: Enjoy us on the other side guys see you soon
0: like what you just listened to check out art of war down under and art of war unbroken on the competitive
1: 40k network the art of war 40k.com